Our third scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, please be with me this morning as I share a message with my Christian siblings. May the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Think back a couple weeks ago. What was all over the news? It wasn't about COVID-19 or the presidential race or even the weather. It was about the racism in this country. There was killing, looting, protesting, and destruction. All over the world there were protests. It was so depressing to watch the news or to read about it. All I could think about was God's commandment. It's also referred to as the great commandment. You know the one I'm thinking about. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Lisa read it to us this morning as our second scripture. The just of it is, love your neighbor as yourself. So all I could wonder was, where was the love? I started looking up scriptures on love, specifically about loving your neighbor. There are quite a few. I thought that's what I was going to do my message about on June 14th. However, God led me in a different direction. That's why you received the message, you'll get through this. 
On Father's Day, we had the first gathering at our house for the season. As most of you know, we live on a lake, so it's always a fun time. While there, my brother Brian left two different books for me to read. I didn't think too much of it because our reading and political views are quite different, so I just assumed they wouldn't be anything that I'd want to read. However, one of the books grabbed my interest. It was this one. I know you can't see it. It's called The Art of Neighboring, Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door. It is co-authored by Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. Jay is a senior pastor of the Mile High Vineyard, a church in a suburb of Denver, Colorado. Dave helps faith, business, and government leaders work together in the Denver metro area. He's also executive director of City Unite and a consultant for companies that have a desire to make a positive impact in their communities. I read the back of the book and I was hooked. This is what it said. When Jesus was asked to sum up everything into one command, he said to love God with everything we have and love our neighbors as ourselves. Most of us have turned this simple idea of loving your neighbors into a nice saying, maybe putting it on bumper stickers or refrigerator magnets, and then going on with our lives without actually putting it into practice. Then he asked, or they asked, what would happen if every follower of Jesus took the great commandment literally? Is it possible that the solution to society's biggest issues have been under our noses for the last 2,000 years? I took all of this as a sign from God as to what my message should be about today. So I guess the number one question is, who's my neighbor? Are we talking about the people in this country who need help? The homeless? The veterans? Should I be thinking about the people in my city? Are we talking metaphorically or my actual neighbor? You know, the person who lives next door or behind me? Actually, we are talking about the neighbor next to, behind you, across the street, or even down the street. Those closest to us are the ones we need to start with. Have you ever heard of the Denver neighboring movement? Or any neighboring movement? Me neither until I picked up the book. In 2009, Dave Runyon, one of our authors, gathered a group of 20 lead pastors so they could think, dream, and pray about how churches might join forces to serve their community. They also invited the mayor of Denver, Bob Fry. They asked the mayor one simple question. How can we as churches best work together to serve our city? They came up with a long laundry list of social problems that most cities face. At-risk kids, dilapidated housing, child hunger, drug and alcohol abuse, loneliness, elderly shut-ins with no one checking on them, and the list continued on and on. 
Then the mayor said something very inspiring to the group. The majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we just figured out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Think about that for a moment. What do great neighbors look like? How well do you know your neighbors? You received a handout today that has a bunch of boxes on it, in the middle, eight boxes, and the middle one has a house on it. Here's a little test for you to do later. Look at the sheet of the boxes, and in the middle, you'll see the house. Put your name on that one, because that's your house. Next, on all the line A's on those other boxes, in those other boxes, write the first and last name of everybody that lives in the house. On line B, write some relevant information you know about each person in that house. Not something like, oh, he drives a red car. Think about something that maybe you gathered when you had conversation with them, like he grew up in Ohio or she's a lawyer. On line C, we want you to write something in depth that you know about those people. For instance, what motivated her to become a teacher? Or what would he say about God? How do you think you'll do on that little test? If you've lived in your house a long time, you'll probably do better than if you've only lived there a few years. For me, I know my lake neighbors better than I ever knew my new Boston neighbors, and I lived there for over 30 years. I think what helped me was the lake people are outside more, so you get a chance to visit more often. The reality is that only about 10% of the people can fill out the names of all eight of their neighbors, line A. Only 3% can fill out line B, which was something relevant about those neighbors and only 1% could share something of in-depth information. So how well are we doing with loving our neighbors if we really don't know much about them? Have you ever looked around your neighborhood with a critical eye? How come that neighbor doesn't mow his grass? Should I call the ordinance department? I see kids next door, but I don't ever see them going to school. Should I call the school and report them? The neighbor across the street has a rundown car in the driveway that I don't think even works. Who do I report that to? Maybe what we should do is to go offer help instead of making that phone call. Maybe the man doesn't mow his grass because his mower's broke and he can't afford to fix it. Maybe the kids aren't going to school because they aren't of age yet, or maybe the mother's sick and the older kids are staying home to take care of the younger ones. Maybe that junky car hasn't moved because it's broken down and the single mom who lives there is barely getting food on the table. Reach out. You never know 
what cross they are bearing until you ask if you can help. In Corinthians, we learned what love is. It's patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable, doesn't keep records of wrongdoing, and doesn't rejoice about injustice. Most importantly, it never gives up, never loses faith, and is always hopeful and endures every circumstance. I had a neighbor when I lived in New Boston who only lived two doors down. When he first moved in, he had a dog, and he took good care of his house and yard. Over the last few years, though, he quit taking care of his place, and we never saw the dog. The weeds were as high as the fence in the backyard. We never saw lights on. However, we knew he was still living there because we saw his truck leaving every day to go to work, and he returned. The township would come by a couple times a year and mow his front yard. After we moved away, I heard he went missing. And the way we found out was because a co-worker came looking for him. He had never missed a day of work since he'd worked there. And now he'd missed two. Unbeknownst to us, he was a bit of a hermit, probably with the mental issues. He went to work every day and was a great worker. Never socialized, though. He would talk only if they talked to him first. He did his job, and he went home. His electric and gas had been shut off. When they turned off his water and condemned his house, that was the last straw. He disappeared soon after. To my knowledge, nobody knows what happened. They found a body in the local park where he used to ride his bike. But we still don't know. His house just sits empty. Could we have made a difference if we had tried to reach him? Unfortunately, we'll never know. But it will haunt me. I can't change the situation with my former neighbor but I can vow to be a better neighbor to my current neighbors. Mend the rifts in the neighborhood. Friend the unfriendly. Even if they hurt you, reach out. Turn the other cheek. In Romulus, where I grew up and taught for many years, we had a similar group to the Denver neighboring movement. It was called the Ministerial Alliance. When I was growing up, we had a very segregated community, white neighborhoods, black neighborhoods, white elementary schools, black elementary schools, white churches, black churches. However, we all had to mingle when it was time to go to middle school and high school because we only had one of those. The Ministerial Alliance was created to pull the community together. It was made up of pastors from many of the 20 different churches in the city. They would come together and host numerous events. A Thanksgiving dinner, a Good Friday march, and a large Martin Luther King celebration every year. They were involved in many of the things that the city held. 
I believe Romulus is a better place today because of their efforts. One of the members of the Denver neighboring movement, Arveda's assistant manager, Vicki Rear, said, from the city's perspective, there isn't noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our community. No difference between how the Christians neighbor or the non-Christians neighbor. That is truly a sad statement. John 13, 25 tells us, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But yet we aren't neighboring any different than the non-Christians. That tells us we have to do a better job. Let's start right here, right now. Let's start with our church family. Even though we come from different backgrounds and different upbringings, let's put it all aside. We are all here, I believe, for the same thing, to get to know God better and to become a better person. Let's be encouraging, not critical. We have an awesome church community here. Let's practice loving here so we can truly love our actual neighbors. Randy Frazee, a senior minister from Oak Hills Church in San Antonio, Texas, wrote the foreword for the book that I just showed you. I'd like to end my message with a quote from him. I am convinced that living in close community with our neighbors is the best way to live. The command to love our neighbors lies at the core of God's plan for our lives. And when we follow this mandate, it changes everything. The journey begins when we choose a lifestyle of conversation and community. It's about making room for life and choosing to befriend those that God has placed around us. Large gatherings and great programs won't necessarily engage the people in our communities who don't know God. Neighboring will. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for always loving us. Help us to be more loving to those around us so they will know we are your disciples. Amen.